Am I good? There I am. All right. So good to have you today in our worship service today. I'm excited today. We have a special speaker with us. His name is Brent Snook. He is the pastor at the First Baptist Church in Glen Estes in greater Cincinnati area. I've been wanting to have him come for some time. He's pastored for 34 years there. I met him about 10 years ago in the streets of New York City, actually in the subways. We both serve on a board up there with Bible Open Air Ministries, and they go into the subways, they do their rope tricks, and then they share the gospel uh, throughout the subways or up in the uh, parks of New York City, and it's an incredible ministry. So he and I went together one time on board, as board members and went down into the, sh the subways in New York City, and I was the only one who learned the rope trick of all the pastors, so I did the rope trick there in the subway platforms. You have four minutes to get it done because then the next subway comes in. And uh, I would share the rope trick, and people like Brent would go around and work the crowd and share the gospel with them even more after I, had, I would speak with the rope trick. And so it was a great time. I loved it. I think that's something I would like to do with my life if I wasn't doing this. As a matter of fact, I've thought about retiring and doing something like that. But uh, anyways, Brent and I have become very good friends over the years, and he's been a special friend to me. And uh, about six months ago, he lost his wife. And she was 65 years of age. He is 65 himself. And uh, it was a real tragedy in his life. And I told him, when you're ready, I want you to come share your story with my church. He has been preaching online for the last several months as he's gone through this whole ordeal with cancer with his wife and then losing his wife. And I've been listening to his messages. And they've been such an encouragement and strength to me uh, to see him as he goes through this. You're going to hear a very honest, transparent message today. And it's going to touch your heart. But anyways, I am so glad to have him come today and be able to share. So Brent, come on, share your heart today and give to us what God's laid on your heart. Thank you for being here today. Let's give him a hand as he comes. Well, let me uh, first of all say thank you for allowing me to come. And uh, this is not an easy uh, message to share, but I am more than willing to share it because when you get to the depths of despair and you want to serve the Lord, your heart is, Lord, whatever you want to do with me. And When your pastor called me and asked me that, I couldn't come at first, uh, and, um, but we set a date later on, and this is the date. So I'm going to open my heart and bear it to you. And uh, some of you are here, and life is really good for you, and it may be the kind of message that kind of goes over your head. But I promise you that one day, if you live long enough, that life as you know it will fall apart, and it will fall apart in a way that you never dreamed. And so it might be good if life is good for you just to take some notes and stick it in your Bible or put it somewhere and try to remember what I have to tell you today. I want to just say this. Take your Bibles and turn to John 6, but while you're turning there, can, can I just say this to you? Don't take for granted what you have here at Triad Baptist. Don't take it for granted. Uh, it doesn't take any pastor, any missionary, any evangelist that comes into a church and just is in that church for one service, knows whether the Spirit of God is there or not. And I, I just want to tell you, after 34 years of my pastoring at the same church, it is easy sometimes for people to think that the grass is greener on the other side and maybe there's something you're missing. Let me just tell you, you got the real deal here. As long as you got a pastor like Pastor Rob who loves the Lord and is striving to do his best to walk with God and lead you, and as long as you have the Spirit of God here, stay. Stay and walk with the Lord together and go through the good times, the bad times, and be faithful to the work of God. My parents, my dad lived to be 83 years of age, and my mom lived to be 81. And my mom, really, her health was not that good uh, when I was growing up and then in college and newly married. And yet, she lived to be 81. My wife's name is Joy. And her mom lived to be 92 years of age. 
92, healthy, feisty, godly, good woman. My wife's dad passed away at 75, which is young. He died of a heart attack. He died of a heart attack. Guess what he was doing when he died, when he dropped over dead? He was witnessing to the person at the gas station because nobody was in there. And the last thing he said to her, have I ever told you this? The last thing he said to the clerk, if I were to die today and not make it home to Goldsboro, I know where I'd go. And the guy, my father-in-law, dropped over dead right there, 75. But 83, 81, 92, I felt pretty comfortable. Good genes for joy, good genes for me. Joy had served the Lord Jesus Christ all her life since she became a child of God. I had a daughter yesterday on the phone in the hotel who said to me something about Sometimes people who don't sow their wild oats think they need to when they get older. I said, time out. I said, my wife, your mother didn't sow her wild oats. And I said to my daughter, when you open the door of temptation and sin, you have far greater temptation in that area the rest of your life. My wife, she was a godly woman. She was, in my opinion, a cool woman. I don't know if you already put the picture up there of her. I, I want to see her myself. Where is it up there? Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's a picture of my wife. And she was as beautiful on the inside as she was the outside. She served the Lord Jesus Christ. She served the Lord in college. She always had all of the offices you know, at college. Vice president of this, president of that, this and that. She had it all. I was a youth pastor for the first eight years of my life, and the teenagers at both churches where I was a youth pastor loved joy. I pastored, as Pastor Rob said, I pa I've been pastoring at First Baptist of Glen Estee in the Cincinnati area for 34 years, and the people of First Baptist loved joy. As my spouse, she loved me. As a mother of three grown daughters, she was loved by all three. We have seven grandchildren, believe it or not, and they loved her. I have lived long enough and seen people my age, my wife's age, who don't serve Jesus. They don't love their spouse. They aren't that great of moms. And they're not that great of Grammys. And yet, for some reason, they live to be 85, 87, 90. And I'll be honest with you. Humanly speaking, it really doesn't make all that much sense to me. You got a person like my wife, which you don't know, but if you did, you'd fully understand what I'm talking about. And then I've got other people that have professed salvation, walked through our church, been in our church, taken a detour, live like they've never been born again, and maybe they haven't. And they just keep on living. We prayed, and our church prayed, and people across the country prayed for joy. We got the very best doctors we could find and the best hospitals, but to no avail. My subject to you today is this. When death and despair devastate, to whom will you go? John chapter 6, there's a very interesting story. You know it well. It's a story of the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 people gathered together. Really, Bible scholars say it was probably fifteen to 20 
thousand people gather together and Jesus is there and he's teaching them and all of a sudden decides to do a miracle. It's hard to figure God out. Why does God do miracles here and then not miracles here? I can't figure God out, can you? But he decided to do a miracle on this day and he fed 5,000 people with just a lunch. And people were pumped. You ever have anything that excites you? I mean, excites you in major ways. I mean, just pumps you up and you, you kind of live with it the rest of your life. This was one of those occasions. People saw him feed 15, 20,000 people with a miracle. So you know what they did? They're like me. I like to be where the action's at. I don't care what kind of action it is. And they came back the next day for more. They came to Jesus for more food the very next day. And I want you to see how Jesus responds to them. John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. You got a, you got a, uh, you know, uh, something to satisfy you. But then he says to them, don't labor for the meat which perisheth, but for that which, that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. He now goes in and he gives them a deeper lesson. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but he gives them more meat and more depth and he gives them some understanding and he gives them a very hard lesson. He says, my purpose isn't just to keep feeding people food. And he tells them what the purpose of him coming to this earth is all about. And he says, I have come to give not temporal, daily, satisfying food that lasts you about four hours he said i have come to give you truth and the truth is he said i am living bread now that's a pretty bold statement isn't it i am living bread he teaches them and now guess what happens you say man the multitude followed him you would think so but notice verse 60. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, at what he had just taught them, he said unto them, does this offend you? He said, what and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Verse 60, he said, before that, many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who, who can handle this? Jump down to verse 66. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. And then Jesus looked at his 12 closest disciples, the closest followers. He looked at them, and notice what he says to his closest followers. He said, will you guys also go away? You going to leave me? It's an important thing, verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, who should we go to? To whom should we go? Thou hast the words of life. Folks, when life devastates you, as it has me, the question is, to whom will you go to? Nothing in my life has been so devastating as the past year and a half. When I stood here, Pastor Rob, the people that have lost spouses came to me and said, the pain will never go away. The pain will never go away. The depths of despair that I have felt 
for the past six months, let alone the past year and a half, I couldn't begin to explain to you, and I, 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 don't, I don't try. My wife had a surgery. Joy was the type of person that was, uh, <laughs> how do I put it? She was beautiful on the outside to me, but beautiful on the inside to me, and she was proper. You know what I mean? She was from North Carolina, by the way. Don't you like that? She raised, we raised our girls the way we wanted them to be like her. That would identify with Jesus Christ and display Christ. But Joy ended up with cancer a second time, and it came back after being cancer-free since 2012. It came back during COVID. You know, it was really interesting. I, I'll tell you secrets. I'm sure your pastor is a lot more spiritual than I am. But um, COVID hit in March, and Sunday morning church was shut down. Sunday night church was shut down. Wednesday night church was set, shut down. I couldn't go visit people in the hospital. I couldn't do counseling. I'm like, this isn't half bad, man. <laughs> I'd get online and I would, I'd preach to a camera and go home and feel free as a bird. My wife and I did podcasts together, live stream, and, and, and that was it. And from um, uh, March until May, I felt like I was on a second honeymoon. I felt like I was on vacation. I felt like, oh, man, this is what retirement would feel like. And then we got... To the doctor and found out that Joyce's cancer had returned. May. The journey has been atrocious. To whom should I go? You say, why would you think that? I'll tell you why. Can I just be honest with you? Because I'm leaving, and you'll probably never see me again until heaven, hopefully. I mean, I, I hope I see you again, but I mean, uh, you'll probably not see me, but I hope you're in heaven with me. <laughs> the reason that that question kept bombarding my heart and my mind when devastation comes, and Brent, if she passes away, what are you going to do? Who are you going to run to? I'll tell you why, because I've had guys in my church that have come to preach for me that could preach a whole lot better than I'll ever be able to preach. And one guy, his wife passed away, and I watched him take a detour that I couldn't believe. I kept thinking, so Brent, to whom are you going to run to? Can I just tell you, when devastation comes into your life, there's a fork in the road. You're not going to stay the way you are right now. There's a fork coming. And that fork in the road is there, and the fork in the road came for me. To whom should I go? I want to ask you to just consider with me today, first of all, to whom will you go in times of trials. If there's one thing I've learned through Scripture is that trials hit everybody. They hit everybody. When life is really good, you don't want to think about it. You don't need to. Don't. But you better prepare. Trials hit everybody. If there's one thing I have learned, it's both now in Scripture and by experience that trials, they do something. Listen, when you get knocked down by trials, guess what happens? Normally, you get more trials. And more trials. Trials don't seem to cease in the middle of the storm, but rather they seem to get heaped one upon another upon another. Satan does not sit back and say, oh, I think Brent and Joyce Snook, I, I think they're really, really down and, and they're concerned about her life. I think I'll leave them alone and go on to someone else. That's not the devil. That's not his demons. 
He never says, I think I'll give them a reprieve. When you are down and knocked down, he comes in for the kill. My wife had an extensive surgery. This will help you understand a little bit without me. 12-hour surgery. 12 hours. In the hospital for two weeks. They, insurance, they don't do that. We got home from Columbus, the best hospital we knew of in the state and many, top five supposedly in the country, the James Cancer Center. And then in February, radiation started and chemo. She could hardly move. I can't explain to you the tough season of life that was, but the day came on March 1st where she got to ring the bell. This radiation was over. But the pain continued. In my own soul and in my own heart, I couldn't help but think, is it still from the surgery and the radiation or is the cancer back? In June, we found out after a radical surgery, we found out that the cancer was back. Only seven months from extreme surgery, and it's back. Friend, the trials of this past year have been so overwhelming. And to be honest with you, it still doesn't cease. When I think of just my wife, the difficulty of the treatments, my wife could not even recline. Excuse me, she could not sit straight up. She had to recline for the entire past year of her life. Get in the car, seat back, blankets, bags in case she lost. Over and over and over and over. In June, her doctor said to her, and I never missed an appointment with her, never missed any. In June, the doctor said, if we do nothing, it may be six months to a year. And, and I'll be honest with you, even with that, my wife looked at me and I looked at her and we were shocked. And tears began to come. I asked him about a second opinion. He said, please go get one. We went to an, the UC hospital in Cincinnati, best oncologist. He poured over her records, hours and hours and hours. He told me how long. He said, there's a drug. It's off-label drug. I think it could work. Great. Let's do it. Came back, said the insurance won't pay for it. I think it was $30,000 of treatment. I said, what do you mean they won't pay for it? They won't pay for it because it's off-label. I fought on my birthday on the phone with the insurance company for hours and hours. I finally called the doctor and I said, I don't care what the insurance will do. I'll sell my house. I'll live in a trailer. Just do it. I'm just trying to tell you there will be times in the midst of your trials when God seems silent. Psalm 13, verse 1, David said this way. He said, how long will you forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I'll tell you, 
there were times in our trial when God seemed so quiet. And the weight of the burden was overwhelming. Charles Billingsley was coming to our church for a concert. My wife loves music. She just loves music. Every time we get in the car to go downtown to Cincinnati, Christian music. Every time I would be there in the house with her, which was all the time, I worked from home from most of that past year. Christian music. In our bedroom, Christian music. My wife couldn't get to church very often, and when she did, she would come out, and she would look at the people before the service started, and she would wave at them, and then she'd go back to our green room where she could recline and watch it on the screen. She couldn't be to church much the last year of her life, but Charles Billingsley was coming, and she loved and loves music. I saw it and tried to find a a chair that we could take out our seats in the front and she could sit in her normal spot. And I found a chair and, and I brought it home and, and she had to figure out whether it would work or not and it worked. And we were so excited and we were like, thank you, Lord. She's going to be able to at least have a, a two-hour reprieve and, a, and some time where she can enjoy a concert with Charles Billingsley. And I came home from preaching that afternoon and she wasn't feeling very good at all. Make a long story short, that evening, rather than getting to hear Charles Billingsley, she was in the ER at the University of Cincinnati Hospital. And I'll be honest with you, I thought, Lord, can't you give us one break? Can't you give us a break? You say, were you angry? I wasn't. I wasn't. I was confused. Confused. Trials in the midst of trials. Psalm 13, David... David, by the way, if you remember, was anointed king as a young, young man. But he never became king for 15 years later. Can you imagine, guys, I mean, can you imagine being anointed king and, and thinking, I'm going to be the next king, I can't believe it, how in the world is this going to happen? And then you wait six months, and you wait a year, and you wait two, and you wait three, and 15 years later... And during those 15 years, it's just running. Because King Saul's just plain jealous. One trial after another trial after another trial, one cave running to the next cave to the next cave, trying to hide out. And you know what Psalm 13 verse 1, what he says? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you forget me? How long do I have to have this kind of sorrow in my heart? How many shall my enemies... And I said, how long for the cancer to be exalted over me? And then he said, light in my eyes. You know what he said next? Lest I sleep the sleep of death. In Psalm 142, can I read two verses to you? David, on another occasion, it says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. And if you keep on reading, you know what you find out? At a time when David was disoriented and depressed and des felt deserted and defeated, he felt abandoned he still ran to God. He ran to God. We better know, we better know, my friend, we better understand to whom should we grow, uh, to go. 
And in verse 1, he says, I cried out unto the Lord. And as you look at this passage of Scripture in 142 of the book of Psalms, you find he did two things. Number one, he poured out his heart to God. Verse 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. What did he do? Verse 1, he cried unto the Lord. Verse 2, he poured out his complaint before the Lord. Verse 5, I cried unto thee. That's what he did. And then he ran to God. He ran to him. He said, you're my refuge, Lord. You're my hiding place. When David was in the pit of the trial, he knew something. He knew to whom he should run to. He knew who to go to. So when death and despair come, to whom do we go in times of trial? But can life get worse? Yeah, it can. To whom will you go in times of tragedy? You see, there's a difference in trials and tragedy. For example, let me explain. Job. We all know the story of Job. You remember Job? Job had, had what I would call trial after trial after trial. Here's what I mean. One day he's sitting there. This is a successful dude, okay? This is a guy who knows how to run a business. And he's sitting there probably having breakfast with his wife. Life is good. He's planning out his day. And one day while he's doing all of that, it starts out with a trial. But it ends with tragedy. For example, the Sabians. The messenger comes in, says the Sabians raided. The oxen, all of your oxen and all of your servants have been destroyed. That's a trial, a major trial. Then somebody else came in and said, hey, I'm sorry to tell you this, but all of your sheep and all of their servants, they're all destroyed. They're all gone. And that's another massive trial after a massive trial, right? You, you tracking with me? Then a servant comes in and says, Job, the Chaldeans have come and they've taken all of your camels and they've killed all the servants. And that's a, how, I mean, trial after trial after trial like that? You know the story. The trials of Job turned to tragedy. As a servant comes in and he says, Job, I don't know how to tell you this, but a tornado has come and killed all of your sons and daughters. That's not a trial. That's a trial that has gone to tragedy. My wife and I in our years have had plenty of trials. I could explain them to you and you would feel bad for me. If you explained your trials to me, I'd feel bad for you. We've held on to the promises of God through our trials of life. Promises like in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord. So, okay, Lord, here's a trial for me, and we're going to trust you, and, and it'll all be turn out for good in eternity. Promises like James chapter 1, verse 2, that say, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different types of trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience or maturity. But when a spouse dies and you know your life will never be the same or when a young parent dies for a daughter who has two little children and won't have her mom or when a young Grammy or Poppy dies It's easy to lose hope. I ended up with COVID. I'd taken care of my wife that entire year. I ended up with COVID. I went to our finished basement, and my daughter, who's a nurse, and my wife's sister took care of Joy. 
I had taken care of her so long, it was almost like a reprieve to me to be in the basement by myself for two weeks. I heard my wife cough two days after I went to the basement. And thought she's got COVID too. I came out of it. She came out of it. I had it worse than she did. Don't understand. Ended up an infection, the area of her cancer. Ended up at the hospital. Dr. Bill Barrett has become a friend to us. He's over the entire oncology department at UC Hospital. Guy's an amazing doctor. He called me every day for three weeks before my wife passed. You know that's an amazing guy. He came to our home the Saturday before the three days before she passed. He just wanted her home. I, w I wish I had more time, I know. I, My daughters in their 30s. I lived in the bed with my wife for the last two weeks. Lived with her. We have a pretty good sized bedroom and my daughters came and put their single mattress, got single mattresses and came and slept for the last week in our bedroom. Even when you know it's coming, you're not ready to lose your spouse. On that Wednesday, Phil and Kim Collingsworth are friends of ours. I think you guys have had the Collingsworths here. They're on the road all the time, all the time, all the time. And Kim called me and said, texted me actually and said, how's Joy? I said, not good. She said, we've just come off the road. Is there anything? We, we, our kids are just barely even home yet. Is there anything we can do for you? I said, um, texted her and said, you all can come and sing for joy if you want to. I was kidding. She said, we'll be there in an hour. They got all their kids together and they were in our bedroom and they sang. That night we went to bed. Joy was pretty much incoherent. Went to bed. I went downstairs. My stomach was killing me. Just, just, I went down and got some milk. I put my head on the counter of our kitchen. Hardest prayer I've ever prayed. I said, Lord, don't let her suffer anymore. I was only down in the kitchen for about 10 minutes and I thought, you better get back up there. I crawled in bed and I heard her breath, her breathing change just slightly. It's about two in the morning. I said, girls, you need to get over here. They came around the bed. She took two breaths. She was gone. To hear your eight-year-old granddaughter say, why does Grammy have to die? As a pastor and her poppy, you try to come up with the best answer you can. I said, well, because God wants her in heaven. To hear her say, but so do we want her. To hear your four-year-old grandson 
say to his mom, Mommy, I just want to get sick and go to heaven to see Grammy. To whom do you go? I had someone say to me a couple weeks after Joy passed. They said, Pastor, you could never go the wrong way. Friend, I want to tell you I am glad I am smart enough to know that is not true. Peter did. Peter walked with Jesus morning, noon, night, every miracle, every teaching. He knew Jesus, and yet when it came right down to it, after he said, I'll die with you, he denied that he even knew Jesus Christ. And a time of death and a time of despair for Peter ended up Peter going back to his old fishing business. He went back. Could it happen to me? The answer is yes. Could it happen to you? The answer is yes. Do you know why we had better run to Jesus Christ? Because although, and I assure you, although Jesus doesn't give you and me all the answers, he does give us enough answers. For example, he says we sorrow, but we don't sorrow like people who don't have any hope. He said in John chapter 11, Whoso liveth and believeth in me, Jesus said, though he were dead, yet shall he live. In Acts chapter 7, you remember, oh, Stephen, that great deacon, he stoned to death, and God's word says something about him. It says that he fell asleep. The Bible gives us knowledge and tells us the thief on the cross. Jesus said, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. You know what that tells me? Jesus didn't stay in a grave, in a tomb. His soul, he was with uh, his heavenly father in paradise that day, but so was the dude on the cross who just got saved. Christian, when tragedy hits our lives and it comes to the front door of your soul, you and I had better know who and where to go. By the way, I'm grateful that God knows all about my grief. God watched his own son die. God watched his son die so that my wife could live. To whom should we go in times of tragedy? To whom should we go in times of temptation? Now, when I say that, your mind goes immediately to whatever your temptation is. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And I can tell you right now, I don't know you, sir, but I guarantee you that I can identify with the temptations that he talks about. And you can identify with whatever temptations, although he's not going to share them with you unless you're his dear friend. But I can identify with Pastor Rob and the temptations that he has. I can identify with you, and you can die. We, we all have the same temptations. Maybe it's the love of money. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of money or a little money. You can still have the love of money. It's the root of all evil. Pride. We all have enough pride, don't we? Jealousy. You ever been jealous? God's word says it's a sin. So don't let the temptation... How about envy? You ever envy somebody else's vacation because you only got to go... Or lust. Oh, they don't lust. Oh, they don't lust. Well, that guy's position. No, they don't have... There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So let's, you know, put away the facade. So in times of temptation, who do you run to? Do you run to yourself and try to talk your way out of it? Do you run to your friends who struggle with the same thing, thinking they'll give you some help? Or do you run to God? Do you run to God? Hey, what about the temptation of doubt? Can I talk to you a little bit about that? 
Actually, it can be pretty easy to run or to yield to the temptation of doubt when death and devastation come upon you. I could never explain it to you. I can't explain it to you. But the devil came after me with doubt in a way that I've never experienced in my life. Doubt has scared me. I've given my life to Jesus Christ since I was 15. I've given my all of my adulthood years to ministry, not because I thought it'd be a cool profession. You know that 8% of pastors that start, finish. I'll tell you why. It's one of the four hardest professions. They secular, secular surveys say one of the top four most stressful lifestyles that a person can have. Pray for your pastor. He's got a tough job. But Lord, doubt this way? And, and then I began to study and I began to think and I, I, my mind went to John the Baptist, thank the Lord. John the Baptist, he's in the, he, he's baptized Jesus. No, I'm not worthy to even, Jesus said, you got to baptize me. Then he goes off and he says, ah, he, he must increase. I've got to decrease. I'm not worthy to bend down and, and wash his feet. I, I, I can't. You get the picture. Later in his life, you know what he's doing? He's in prison. He's about to be beheaded. He's the forerunner of Christ early on. He's been a man of God. You know what he's saying? Friends, I'm in prison. Will you go to Jesus and ask him, He's really the Messiah. You've got to be kidding me. You know what Jesus said about John the Baptist after he had his friends go? He told everybody he's the greatest prophet that's ever lived. You know what we do when doubts come? We hide it. We harbor it because we can't let anybody know or they're going to think we're just nothing. So we try to keep it to ourselves, and we hide it and the devil has havoc with it. Time of temptation. What, what are you going to do? I want to tell you something. We've got to make a choice. In times of trial and in times of tragedy and in times of temptation, we still have to make a choice. We choose to believe. Job said, though he slay me, I'm going to keep trusting in him. You know what I did last Saturday? I've had more and more and more horrible news. I sat in my bedroom, here's how weak I am, and read the book of Job last Saturday all by myself, didn't leave my bedroom, and wrote down every time Job said, I just want to die. So, so what do you do? You do what Job said. Though God slays me, I'm going to keep trusting him. Romans chapter 10 says this. It says, faith cometh by hearing. You know what? When I doubt, I, 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 I need some help. What, what do I do? God gives me the answer. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I better stay in my Bible. You know what? It's been the roughest year of my life. I, I can't imagine if it gets any harder, but it could. You know what I've done? Listen to me. You know what I've done? 
the same thing that I did when life was good. Read my Bible and prayed and got to church and had Bible study. You want to know why? If I was preaching to my people and ask them that, you know what they would say? Yeah, pastor, it's because you're so strong. And I would say to them, no, it's because I'm so weak. I need more strength. I need more help. I need more comfort. I need more faith. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You see, in those sad, grieving, lonely times when I'm all alone, who am I going to go to? To whom should I go when Satan tempts me and says, you'll never make it out of this one. Life will never, ever be good again. Who am I going to go to? When he says to me and tempts me and says, your good days are all in the rearview mirror. When he says to me and whispers in my ear, your pain will never stop. Your pain will never cease. Your pain will never lighten up. Your loneliness will last forever. I have a choice, a choice to listen to Satan's whisper or believe God's word. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God said, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. I want to tell you something. And if you've gone through what I've gone through, you understand this if you've tried to walk with God. I'm telling you two things. Can, C-A-N, no T, no T on it. Two things can exist in the same time. Utter grief and agonizing pain and hope, faith, and peace. I can't explain it, but I can tell you one last thing. To whom will you go in times of triumph? I'm talking about when life is good. I want to tell you quickly that it very well may be that more Christians fall in times of triumph than they do in times of trials. When David was in times of trials and in times of tragedy, you read the Psalms. Most of them were written during his times of trial and tragedy. Kept running to God, running to God, running to God. He wrote the Psalms. I mean, he just kept on running to God in his time of trials and tragedy. But when life was so good, when David was in time of triumph, when there was everything that seemed to be fine, when all was well, he ran to Bathsheba. If David would have gone to God in his palace like he did in agony in the caves, things may have turned out so differently. We probably would have never heard the name Bathsheba or Uriah. Ecclesiastes 7 says it this way. It's better to go to a funeral than a party. Huh. Really? You know why? Because at a funeral, life gets really serious. At a party, which is fine for parties, but it's pretty frivolous. I guarantee you, for some of you here today, life's too good. Because life is so good, you don't need God that much. And you don't rely on God that much. And you don't hunger and seek for him all that much. Friend, when we run to God in times of delight, like people did when he fed the 5,000. 
shouldn't we also run to God in times of utter despair? By the way, you don't walk with God, you still have problems in life. Sickness and evil still exist. Jesus Christ got his closest followers together who remained, and he said, do you guys want to go too? You want to leave me? And Peter said something brilliant. He said, Lord, to whom should we go? I say to you today, God helping me. God helping me. I will say with Peter, Lord, to whom should I go? Because you, Lord, have the words of eternal life. Friend, I say to you as I leave, give your hurt and give your heart to Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads? With heads bowed and eyes closed, You may be here this, this morning and maybe you've never even trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. When your trials and tragedy come, you have no one to run to. But friend, I tell you today on the authority of God's Word that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he wants to not only give you comfort in times of trials, but he wants to be your savior and give you eternal life. For me, there's a better day coming. I can look forward to heaven. Because I opened my heart and trusted Jesus to become my savior when I was years ago. You may be here today and maybe you've never opened your heart to Christ. Would you let Jesus Christ save your soul today? He'll save you right here, right now. If you will call out to him and acknowledge to him that you're a sinner, in need of a savior, he's the only savior. And call upon him Repent of your sin. You can leave here today knowing you're a child of God. Some of you here today, you would say, I'm a child of God. But you know whether you're lukewarm or whether you're seeking God with all your heart and soul. If you're lukewarm here today, I would plead with you to run to Jesus Christ. Let him become the thrill of your life once again. There's no life more exciting in all of life than to walk with Jesus Christ in the good times and the bad. Today may be the day you need to get up from your seat and you need to come and kneel in an altar or talk with one of the pastoral staff members and just tell them, I need to get right with God. Maybe you need to come and just say, Lord, I need to seek you. I need to seek you now when life's good so that I'll know where to run when life's not so good. Others of you maybe just want to come and pray at the altar this morning and bear your heart and your soul to him. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand with me and let me pray. And then when they begin singing, you come and let God work in your life. Father, I thank you that you're a God who cares. I thank you that you're a God who can redeem. And I pray for those who need to be redeemed today that they might be saved. I pray for those who are hurting that they might come and leave their burden with you and let you walk through it. And I pray for those who are just not seeking you and not right with God and, and, and have abandoned their first love. God, I pray that today might change all of that. 
And we'll thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name.